You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Wheelchair tennis is one of the most inclusive sports, providing an opportunity for adaptive athletes to play alongside their ambulatory counterparts. It is also one of the most professional sports. Wheelchair tennis players, like Caitlin Verfurth, can play professionally in tournaments and on a circuit, earning prize money, endorsements, and more. We chat with a three-time Paralympic wheelchair tennis player about the sport. So, Caitlin, I thought, uh, you know, I know that for folks that may not have um, tuned into our conversation previously, I thought maybe we just uh, start by uh, just asking you to introduce yourself, particularly uh, around uh, your experience and background in the subject matter at hand, which of course is the sport of wheelchair tennis. So maybe uh, for those of you that that don't uh, know who you are or didn't tune in, uh, tell us a little bit about your background in wheelchair tennis. Thank you, Sean. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Caitlin Burforth. Um, I am a three-time Paralympian in wheelchair tennis, and I have two gold medals, a silver and a bronze in wheelchair tennis. Um, I competed in the Pan American Games, um, which are always the games be- the year before the Olympics. Um, those games in whatever sport you're competing in, if you get a gold, if you get if you medal there with a gold medal specifically, you get an automatic in tennis for wheelchair tennis's case. Um, you get an automatic direct entry into the Paralympic tournament for wheelchair tennis. So um, in 2007, when I won the gold medal, I got a direct entry right into the 2008 games. And um, really, I've been playing wheelchair tennis. I've been playing tennis since I was probably the age of four and a half or five. My uh, grandmother was a USPTA pro in Wisconsin. And um, before I, you know, when I was barely learning to walk, there was a racket in my hand and um, I had started at a pretty young age. And then I had a car accident when I was seven years old um, and I became uh, paralyzed from the waist down. And um, I participated in a lot of other adaptive sports like most, um, but I found wheelchair tennis again, or I found tennis again, merely when I wanted to play on my high school tennis team. And um, wheel- and tennis was one of the few and only sports that um, I could compete with uh, able-bodied players. I didn't have to compete against other people with disabilities. And that's what really that's what really got my eye on tennis and why I really wanted to get involved in tennis is because I could play with anybody. It wasn't just somebody with a disability. And, and, um, and that's the kind of the the cool thing that most people may not realize, Uh, you know, I mean, obviously if you're in the world of adaptive sports um, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's great to bring people with disabilities together because sometimes you might, you know, be isolated or one of, you know, very few and that you might know personally, but then to be able to also then just be able to play with your, as you said, you have family members who play the sport. So to be able to play with family and friends and, 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 and anybody, I think it's a great, a great uh, unknown thing about the sport. And, and so what was it about tennis that's, that, that specifically excited you? 
Well, specifically that, like being able to compete on my high school team, um, I was looking for some way to be plugged in um, with athletics wise at at the high school that I was going to. And um, tennis was really the only thing that I could do. I, you know, once I had my car accident, I really got into wheelchair basketball, but I can't play with, I can't play basketball on a court with other girls, um, on their feet. I'd run over their toes. It just, that's not, it's not very safe. And so, um, one of the things that the school offered me was an opportunity to be a manager for the girls team that, that could be a role that I could play, but not specifically as an athlete. And that's, that was really what I was looking for. And that's what really drew me to tennis is I didn't have to seek out other organizations, you know, that maybe serve people with disabilities and adaptive sports. I could play with anybody. I could play with my mom, my brother, my friend, um, on my high school team. And, um, today what I'm, what I'm really trying to do, I have a program that I run here in Phoenix, Arizona. I work at a nonprofit called ability 360. Mm -hmm. And I started a really, a really cool wheelchair tennis program. We have practices on Mondays and Thursday nights. And during those times in those clinics, that's when we get to work on specific skills, you know, hone in on those skills that we want to work on for tennis, specifically for wheelchair. But what I really am starting to encourage is to have my players sign up and join USTA leagues and yeah. go out there and you can go online. You can do a self NT. I'm sorry, I'm going to say this wrong. NTRP rating, I think it is. Um, and you can go online, do a rating, and it's going to be you're either like a 2.0 to a 5.0, and you can play any league that you'd want. The only rule difference is the wheelchair player is allowed two bounces. And I also like to think about this as another way of for another avenue of socialization. And specifically, you know, it's great to have our wheelchair tennis clinics and get to know each other that way. But there's a whole world out there and mm -hmm. I'm really all about pushing this inclusivity in the game. And, you know, the more people, the more wheelchair players we can get out playing in, in leagues, the better, not only is that great for that player, they're making new friends, they're finding new people to hit with. Um, but also too, we're also spreading awareness and more and more people are just becoming educated about wheelchair tennis and, and really understanding that, Hey, this can really be integrated across a lot of different um, platforms. Yeah, and I know, Kaylin, you mentioned that obviously being able to play at the high school level was, uh, you know, a, a big motivating factor for you. And I, and I know when we chatted on our previous podcast that, you know, we talked a little bit about the challenges that you had. Um, if if there are athletes out there that um, may still be having challenges, hopefully that's fewer and farther between. But but if they're still having challenges, what like just based on what you did and, and the le lessons you learned, what do you encourage athletes to, to do if they want to play on their high school tennis team? Yeah, first and foremost, um, reach out, you know, find out who the coaches coaches at the high school um, and reach out to them. Explain this is what well, this is what I did, you know, kind of explain, explain what was going on. And um, hopefully most coaches I know here in Phoenix, I've worked with some high school coaches already and they kind of know about it. They're not surprised anymore. And um, but I just, you know, reach out, go out to practices and, and, you know, in the beginning of every season, there's always, you know, two weeks of preseason before the season gets started and go to those practices and start getting yourself integrated in with the team. If you find that you're having a hard time, or maybe people aren't being accepting of it, or maybe the school isn't accepting of it, 
it, it could be, I mean, or maybe they just need to be educated about it. Um, there are a lot of resources that you can use. I mean, the top of the resource would be the USTA, the United States Tennis Association. Um, they are going to back you up 100%. There's Jason Harnett, who is head of like the wheelchair tennis division there at, at USTA. But what's really cool about the USTA now, which happened, I, I believe, two years ago, wheelchair tennis is no longer its own little entity. Wheelchair tennis is now under um it's in high performance like we are integrated with able-bodied tennis there isn't this like mm. this division anymore which is really cool um and that also makes wheelchair tennis probably or is the most professional adaptive sport out there right now because we have our own tour we have um athletes you know have it, they have a lot of sponsors they're making we also win prize money um, that's the other thing about what, what separates wheelchair tennis, I think from a lot of other adaptive sports is, is you can make a living doing this. You mm -hmm. can get sponsors, you can, um, you can get endorsements, um, you, you win prize money as well as, you know, sometimes you have to write grants or maybe reach out to some local funding to be able to travel to tournaments, but you can make a full business out of this. Um, my doubles, my old doubles player, partner uh dana matthewson she is crushing she's got a sponsorship with adidas deloitte um her wheelchair manufacturer wilson they're they're flying her around the country to to compete in tournaments she's top 10 in the world now um i mean wheelchair tennis is very professional and um i would be so i hope not I, i'd be surprised if there's still people not knowing a lot about it but um, you can use the USTA as one resource if you're if you're stuck. Another resource would be I would reach out to each state has, you know, their local nonprofit uh, organizations like here in Arizona. We have Ability 360. We also have, you know, Southern Arizona Adaptive Sports in Tucson, High Country Adaptive and Flagstaff. So uh, most states have, you know, within their bigger regions, those those organizations reach out to those. They can also be um, a voice for you as well to to fight your case or advocate for you. Um, but there's no reason why you can't, can't play on your high school team or, or any league. And, and so obviously you're now coaching, uh, you're the head coach at, at ability 360. Uh, and, and so how do you introduce the sport? Let's say to, uh, someone who has never played it before. How do you, like, if you're just going out in the community and, or you have a booth at some event, how do you talk about the sport and then introduce the sport to new, to new, uh, individuals? Well, actually, so last, on Monday night, we had, we had our group on Monday night and one of, I'm sorry, I am going a little left field, but one of my players came up to me and she goes, Caitlin, you know, a year ago, you introduced me to, to wheelchair tennis. I've been coming to the clinics. I love it. and you know, she said, I know I remember you mentioned to me that, you know, once I felt comfortable in the chair and I learned how to maneuver the chair and hit the ball and, you know, get good at it on the court that I could play, you know, in my league or with my old ladies group. And I said, absolutely. And, and she goes, um, and that, and she basically go, you know, she's like, well, I think I'm at that level. I think I'm ready. And I said, you are ready anytime you're ready. Let's make this happen. And so when I'm talking to people or people that are new to the sport or out and about, and they ask about wheelchair tennis, um, I think that's what the biggest seller is of, of the sport is that you can play with anybody. Um, that that's the other thing. There are no, as far as like regulations, the rules, 
everything is the same, um, whether you're playing sitting in a chair or standing. The only real difference is the wheelchair player is allowed two bounces. But as far as the court dimensions, the height, the rackets, all that kind of stuff, everything is the same, which makes it really easy to integrate as well because you don't have to make any special modifications or anything like that. Um, and that is what I've found. That's that's where I've gained a lot of our, you know, newer players or beginner players that are maybe just had an accident or, you know, now they're, they have a spinal cord injury or someone that had a stroke. I got somebody playing with us. Um, but what's really special is that they bring their friends and family always to those first clinics. And the friends and family, I get them to jump in too, give them a racket. And before you know it, they're leaving. And that next day, that during that week until I see them again, they've already gone out a couple times and played with their family and and have been able to, you know, maybe work on the things or try something new that that we did that night. So for me, I think that's the biggest seller. And um, and I think to being able to not only that socialization piece and bridging that gap of of families. Um, that, you know, maybe somebody in their family has gone through a trauma or had an accident and like being able to bring it back together because we all know when, when someone gets injured or has cancer or something like that, the whole family comes to the rescue to help. And it's also a great way to be able to relieve some stress and have some fun and, and have some laughs. And so when you get out, um, then maybe take me through a clinic, like one of your, or one of your practices in rehearsals, what are some of the things you focus on? So um, I do have a beginner and advanced clinic. So I'm going to talk about my beginner clinic a little bit, but because uh, the advanced is, is more kind of going into like pretty nitty gritty parts of the tennis of the game and strategy and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But in my beginner clinics, I really like to cover the first and foremost thing uh, is mobility, learning how to manipulate the chair. And um, a lot of people will ask, especially if they're if they're new spinal cord injury or new to being in a chair, um, can I play in my everyday chair? And um, you can, I mean, you can try. It's a little bit dangerous. I think it's dangerous because um, you don't have any straps. So if you're reaching for a ball, you could fall out. And a lot of our chairs, everyday chairs, they don't have the anti-tip bars on the back. So you have a pretty good chance of flipping over. And you also, most, most everyday chairs do not have the camber like a sports chair would. So, you know, being able to manipulate and move and having a chair that's super responsive, um, it can be tough. However, I don't ever want to, you know, I, I don't ever say like, no, you can't come because, um, like I, like I said, if you're sitting still, I can feed you some balls and you can just get the idea of, of how the game works. Um, but Thankfully, where I do work at Ability360, we have quite a few sports chairs or program chairs that people can rent out for our programs, um, test out and try. And, and there are a ton of grants out there for folks to be able to apply for that would need that you know financial assistance to be able to get their own sports chair someday. And but what what going back to the point is the first things I work on are mobility. Mobility is key, being able to get around the court so that you can get to the ball and be able to hit the ball. So we focus a lot on a mobility in the beginning. And then two, depending on um, the type of player that has signed up, maybe they had played tennis before and really they just need to focus on learning how to move the chair and get to the ball. Or I'll have players that have never played before. So 
Um, I try to cover, you know, how the the basic concepts of, of tennis itself. And you don't have to be in a chair to understand that. The forehand is the forehand. The backhand is the backhand. A volley, a serve, it's all the same. The grips are the same. So really, um, that that's kind of how my beginner my beginner classes go. But what I do find with a lot of beginners is really understanding that anticipation piece with the ball coming, moving the chair, keeping the racket in your hand, which which is a big learning curve, and that takes a lot of time to get used to pushing around with with having that racket in your hand. Um, those those are some some of the things that we really focus on, so that the main goal is to help them reintegrate back into their community. And so, yeah, I think you you did a great job with uh, breaking it down into those two components. I mean, first you got to be able to maneuver uh, around, uh, and uh, and then you got to be able to focus on on the hitting component of that. I mean, that's a, the two basic. If you had to yeah. break it down, the two biggest basic things that, are, that entails the sport. Um, and I know that you've talked about a couple times and mentioned a couple times the fact that uh, that it's the same sport except for a person, uh, someone playing in a wheelchair gets two bounces. Um, you know, why is that? And, um, cause I imagine there are, if you're playing, you know, perhaps against an able-bodied person, uh, they might think that that's unfair, right? So, right. uh, uh, so why, why, what is the, the reasoning behind that? So a couple of things to consider in the chair, when you're playing tennis in the chair, we cannot, um, as a wheelchair player, I cannot move laterally and, that would probably be, I'd say that's probably our biggest disadvantage. I I cannot, um, I cannot shuffle to the side or do a split step, so to speak. If, if anybody here is listening and knows tennis terms, um, I, I, that's number one. And that's, that's the biggest reason why the two bounce rule came into effect is just, we cannot move laterally. And that that's, that's the toughest part. Um, the second biggest thing that's a that's quite different um, between playing on your feet versus on wheels is that in the chair, um, if I get pulled into the court and I hit, you know, maybe an approach shot and it's a ball that I didn't hit so great back and I need to get back to the baseline. It's not something that I can go in and put away with the volley. Um, I do at some point I have to turn my back to the court mm. and. I mean, it's a very brief moment. Like uh, most people can't even tell that I'm, I do, but um, there's a moment, a split second where I do have to take my eyes off the court because I have to get back to position. I have to get back to the baseline or I have to get back into my position. And in, and you're on your feet when you're in ten- when you're playing tennis, you would never turn your back to the court. You're always, you're always back paddling back. You would, you know, so you can still see the court. So um, those are, and I, am not saying, I'm not saying that, um, you know, being turning your back to the court is another reason for the two bounce rule, but, um, that's just one other thing to consider. And mm-hmm. then, you know, lastly, um, a lot of the top players, and let me just say this about the two bounce thing and, and all my new players that I'm working with or in my advanced group, I don't teach two bounces. I want them getting everything on one bounce. That one, that two bounces in wheelchair tennis. If you're high performance, or if you're, you know, looking to be an aspiring tennis professional, um, you use the two bounces only to your advantage. You don't use that. You you don't sit there and wait for the two bounce. You get the ball on one bounce every single time. That two bounce is really just for your. It's your advantage. And a lot, what you'll see, a lot of wheelchair players use that two bounce rule, is especially if someone really hit something short, a drop shot at the net, just something you're hustling to. That's when, that's really the only time I'm allowed. I, I get the ball on two bounces and that's really what I try to teach. 
that's that's good to know too yeah um and so if a new uh person is introduced to the sport uh what do you what do they need uh you know you particularly i know you mentioned that a lot of our you know moving member organizations have program chairs that are you know usable so they don't have to go out and immediately you know get their own chair until they're serious you know probably serious about the sport but what what are the basic equipment uh needs that an athlete or an individual who wants to play wheelchair tennis has or needs um and just just to talk about the chair too like if you are um like with the move united and a lot of the chapters those organizations have program chairs that's one other just piece you don't have to have a tennis chair if you're playing in a basketball chair to get started that's okay too like if you're if you're playing wheelchair basketball and you want to try a new sport by all means you can play in a in a ball chair i know a lot of a lot of um, players do that in the beginning, especially cause they're just not sure. So that's, that's also one other option for an equipment. Um, if you have a sports chair, you can, you can still play in that, but what you need really is, um, you need a racket. You definitely need a racket. Um, and I like to tell folks, you know, beginner, don't go out there, spend a ton of money cause rackets can be really expensive. Um, just a basic starter beginner racket, something not too heavy, um, maybe with a bigger head size, like 100 or 105, I think is great because that just gives you some more surface area to, to hit that ball on. Also, um, I like to tell folks when looking at rackets in the beginning, because you got to remember with the chair, you're going to be moving that chair with a racket in your hand. Um, and everybody's hand size is bigger, but I always tell people maybe if you played tennis before and you had a bigger grip size, go down a grip size or two just to give you that, just to give you a, a little bit more um, more grip on that handle. Because having a smaller handle is a lot nicer, or I per- personally prefer that um, with pushing a wheel. And then um, that's and some balls is some balls. Like if you're listening to this podcast today and you're like, dang, I really want to try wheelchair tennis right now. My, you know, I got a twin sister or brother and, um, we got a racket, we got some balls. You could literally go out to the court and just start trying to hit back and forth. I think, you know, there are some, some junior balls that we use in some of our progressions. These are like red, orange, green, and then you go to a yellow ball. The main, the main goal of that is these balls are less pressurized, which allows the ball to go a little bit slower and kind of give you more, give players more time to react and set up. And so if you're brand new, I highly suggest getting like an orange ball. You can get those at Target or Walmart. They just have a little less air in them, but that just allows you to to slow it down a little bit. Um, I see a lot of people, not not wheelchair players, just people going out to a public park and never played tennis before. You know, maybe they found this stuff in the garage and like, let's go play. And <laughs> they're they're out there with you know these really old rackets and and you know uh, these yellow balls, and they spend more time running down the ball and picking up the ball than they actually do hitting balls and. Uh, whenever I do see that, I go up to them like, Hey, have you heard of an orange ball? And they're like, most of the time, no. And then, um, and then I'll, I'll just give that little tip and I've gone back and there, there they are rallying with the orange ball. And they came up to me like, Hey, thanks. That really slowed it down for us and made it a lot more fun. And then, and then they progressed on to a, to a regular yellow ball, but that could be something for some equipment. Um, and then to, you know, reach out to your move United chapters in your state and, find out. I'm sure a lot of, organ- I know a lot of organizations have wheelchair tennis programs, get involved there. That's a great first start. Um, reach out to the USTA, 
they always are very helpful in, in navigating or getting you in contact with either A, a coach that knows wheelchair tennis in your area, or B, they can contact you with any of those organizations that have sports chairs and things like that to help you get started. So I just want to go over that progression again, because uh, okay. that, that was kind of new to me. So it's red, orange, green, and then yellow. Is that the? Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll recap that real quick, Sean. So um, before I started playing tennis, uh, but now for kids these days, just to make tennis, I think um, when, you know, tennis kind of was really popular and then it faded a little bit and then to get the kids more involved, what we started doing, especially I used to run after school programs for tennis and they started incorporating these, yep, this red uh, orange and green dot ball. And these balls, the, the red is super squishy, not a ton of air, but it really slows it down. The court is a lot smaller and this is for, you know, an age, um, these are for kids. So this is for, mm-hmm. for kids that are under 10 and then going to a ele- going into 11, 12, 13, 14, you might see them playing with an orange ball and the court gets a little bit bigger, but not the full size of the tennis tennis court. And then going into a green dot ball, which is just the step below yellow. Um, then they start competing at that level, then start making the court the full size court again. Um, and then going progressing into the into the yellow. I, I wish they had that because um it really is it's really cool because you see a lot of early success with the the ball being able to be less pressurized and slowing it down a little bit. Yeah, no, I think that's that's awesome. I never never heard of that before, and I think it's. I mean, you're not going to have fun, like you said, if you're chasing the ball around and uh-huh. you may, never, may never pick up a racket again. And and yeah. I'm, I'm I'm your case study because my wife and I have old rackets, and 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 we went to a sports store and we probably bought you know a a a, a, a set of yellow balls, and and uh, and we're by no means uh, expert tennis players, so uh, that's important. I think for any anyone out there that that's just thinking about trying the sport uh, and then they can can progress to uh, ultimately the yellow ball. And, and so for those that, um, the other question I did have for you is uh, what about like gloves or anything like that? I mean, do, do players wear, is that just an individual preference or is that, is that an important thing to have or not have? So um, in wheelchair tennis, we have three different um, kind of divisions. There's, um, there's men, women, and then there's the quad division. And, um, that, that's kind of the other thing. A lot of these other adaptive sports have, like you look at swimming or track and field, for example, and they have a ton of different classifications that you can Mm -hmm. compete in. Right. And in wheelchair tennis, it's just men, women, quad. And in the women's division, I can, I, you know, I'm, I'm paralyzed from the waist down, but I compete against, um, women, other women that maybe only had a below the knee amputation, or maybe they walked on the court and sat in their chair. And then we played like they're really, there isn't, um, that's there's kind of a whole new front Mm -hmm. kind of going on with classification and stuff like that. I don't think, I, I don't think we'll ever have like very, uh, very specific classes. I think it's always going to stay this way. However, just talking about the quadriplegic division, that's anybody that has, um, an impairment with 
uh, at least three three or more limbs affected. Um, those those folks could qualify for the quadriplegic division. And I, I find in that division, just with the limited um, hand function and maybe just not having that strength, uh, some of those guys and gals will wear gloves and they find that it's a lot easier to maybe stick onto the, or to be able to get grip on the wheel or maybe for their racket. Um, I personally do not like wearing gloves. Um, no, uh, it feels really weird to have a glove in my hand and then hold a racket. It just, it just feels yeah. off to me. Um, but I've seen players, I've seen men and women and quad, uh, maybe not wear a glove in the racket hand, but wear a glove on the pushing hand and that, that some players like that. So you can experiment and try around, uh, try different things with that. If you are a glove user, um, I do know some of my players use like football wide receiver gloves. They like those cause they have lots of like some tackiness to them. So th- that could be a good, a good try if you're looking to use gloves. What I would do, my suggestion is, is um, if you're going to get involved in a wheelchair sports, if you're new to wheelchair tennis or new to any wheelchair sport, start working on those calluses. Cause these, these <laughs> hands, um, you want them strong and you want those calluses to build up so that you, you don't need gloves someday. That would, that would be my goal. That would, that would be my, my thought. Okay, that's a good point. Maybe I'm old school. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you talked about the kind of the classification uh, category, um, but what about the different um, divisions, like singles and, hmm. and doubles? So I know like in doubles, uh, can you t- take me through what a, a doubles match is, re- what, what's required in a double match? There's both singles and doubles. With the doubles, um a lot of people might say like, Oh, don't you guys run into each other? Or, you know, it all comes down to really communication, but what you will see different about wheelchair tennis doubles is that our setup formation or, or the way we sit before the point is not going to maybe not going to be the same as what you might see in a typical, um, able body point, someone not playing in a chair. So typically you see the up down method where you got one partner up at the net and the other one's back. Maybe they're returning serve, or maybe they're serving, um, in wheelchair tennis. We typically start both back, both, both players are back behind the baseline. And for us, our movement or because because we don't have that lateral lateral mobility and then also too we are a lot shorter sometimes sitting at the net you can feel like a sitting duck and someone can just you know <laughs> pop a lob right over your head so that's one reason of why we stay back but our 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 movement pattern is more kind of every we're doing like little circles moving forward into the court and out of the court and you're kind of working with your partner you know if a, a ball does go short um, your partner's going in the, going into the court to get it. Your, your maybe if, if, if that's my partner and they're going in and they got to go in, I'm going to cover more middle and be back to help if it does go over their head or, or something like that. And then if they do get the ball, then they might be coming back out and then I might be going in. So we're constantly doing this. I like to call it a dance. Uh, we're constantly moving and we're constantly kind of doing this dance and really communicating the whole time. I mean, every single point. Um, me and Dana, we we're really good at talking and every single point, even if it was obvious that it was her ball or my ball, we would always say me or she would say me or her. What? Yeah. So um, lots of communication is going on. So that that just might be something that you might see different. We start back and then there are times, though, there are players that do do sit up or maybe 
um, you know, they have a play that they, there's a go-to play that they do and just to mess up the other team, they might start up and, and do something different. But typically you're going to see us both kind of starting back and, and doing this kind of, both of us are moving forward and backward at the same time. Um, and if someone is in the front, you know, someone's got to be back there to cover that, that baseline, just, just because of our height. And, um, is there anything that, you know, I've, I've asked, uh, a, a wide range of questions. Is there anything that I've not asked you that I think that you feel is important to share about the sport or, or getting into the sport? The only thing that I guess, um, that I would like to, um, the only other thing that I would, the other point that I would bring up is, um, we are now part of wheelchair tennis, the, the tour we're part of all four grand slams. And, um, when I retired, um, Wimbledon was just like Wimbledon was the last grand slam to kind of let, kind of let us in and uh, no, 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 like diss on, on Wimbledon. I, I, that's the only one I haven't been to. I've done the French open, the Australian and, um, the U S open, mm-hmm. but, um, there was some controversy in the beginning. They only allowed the men in chairs to play because they thought the women weren't strong enough to push on the grass. And so, Um, thankfully, you know, they tested that out in the first year and, and, and we, you know, the men obviously did great. And then the next year, the, maybe two years later, they added the women's division. Um, that was kind of the only lag about getting us part of all four grand slams, but what's even, I mean, now we're flat. That was in, that was 2000, you know, 12, 13, 14. Now we're flash forward all the way to 2023. And the other thing is only the top eight in the world were invited to those grand slams at the time. Now they've opened it up to the draw size is diff is bigger. I believe it's a draw size. Um, I believe it's a draw size of 12 or 16 now is invited. Shoot. I yeah. don't quote me on that, but you could just say the draw size has gotten bigger. And mm-hmm. like, I was looking at um, Dana's Instagram and like the women's division is, is huge. It's, it's so much bigger at, at right now because uh, the Australian opens going on and um, the division size has gotten a lot bigger. Also prize money has gone way up and um, that's just super cool. Mm-hmm. We're headed in the direction we always wanted to be. Oh, that's great. And I think um, just in closing, uh, if people are in the Phoenix area, obviously, uh, tell us how they can get a, become a part of the, the wheelchair tennis program there. Yeah. So if you do live here in the Phoenix area or in Arizona, I um, we do run I do run wheelchair tennis clinics at the Phoenix Tennis Center. We have a partnership with them um, and Ability 360 on right now. This this winter spring session, we're doing Monday nights for beginners from six to eight. And then we're doing Thursday evenings for the advanced group from six to eight. Everybody's welcome. Um, there is other organizations here in Arizona. I don't want to forget about there's Tucson, which is Southern Arizona Adaptive Sports. Um, I know that they also do have a tennis program down there. So please reach out to Mia Hansen if you are in that area and you want to get involved in tennis. Um, and then two, I'm just going to plug. We got two um, wheelchair tennis tournaments coming up here in March. Um, Mm. Mia and Tucson is going to have her, she's got a level three. Um, I I believe hers is international. No, it's not. Sorry. Hers is a level three USTA wheelchair tennis tournament. And that'll be happening down in Tucson, March. Um, the first weekend in March, fourth, fifth and sixth or third, fourth and fifth. Mm -hmm. And then, um, 
if you're if you're loving Arizona and you want to stay, um, I made our tournament the following week weekend. So folks, if they came out, they could stay and play too. And then we'll be having the Ability 360 Desert Classic um, March 10th, 11th, 12th at the Phoenix Tennis Center. That's awesome. And, and all those things, all those those are posted on the USTA website where you can find tournaments. You can find um, all wheelchair tennis tournaments throughout the throughout all the United States. If you head over to the ITF website, which is the International Tennis Federation, you'll see all the international uh, wheelchair tennis tournaments happening all over the world. 